Tonight, we are starting Genesis, or I, I had attempted to finish Genesis 18. Uh, we'll see how far we get, but I don't want to spend too long going through this half of Genesis 18. We're going to be starting at verse 16 is where we left off was verse 15. So we're starting at verse 16 where God is about to reveal his plan to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah to Abraham. Amen. Now we talked about several things last time when we talked about the visitors that came, right? We talked about how they came and it was three men in appearance, but obviously these three men were not men. It was the Lord and two angels, right? So we talked about how they came and they, the Lord prophesied about Sarah going to have a baby. They, uh, the Lord asked that rhetorical question, is anything too hard for God? Amen. Of course, we know the answer to that question in verse 14. The answer is, is there anything hard for, too hard for God? No. Amen. So if anybody goes, well, I don't know if that person, you know, I don't know if God can reach them. That's very telling on what they think of the sovereignty of God. Amen. Because they're like, well, I know God saved me, but that person over there, man, they're really lost. As if you weren't at one point, right? The, 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 the chasm between them and God is is no bigger than the chasm between you and God. Amen? That chasm is sin. And it doesn't take a whole bunch of sins. It just takes one sin. Amen? The, the, the problem is all sin separates us from God. Amen? And the fact that we are enemies of God is only because of sin. Not a multitude of sins. Not a finite amount of sins but sin period amen so the chasm doesn't get bigger the more sins are there okay and, and it doesn't get smaller just because you seemingly think that you have less sin than somebody else does okay um if that was the way it worked then uh uh, you know, just for the record of every day of my life, knowing that I mess up quite a bit more than other people, <laughs> I would be out, right? Com yeah. Well, comparative righteousness doesn't always mean you're sinless because it, remember, Noah was righteous in his generation. But Noah still was a drunk and ended up sleeping naked in his tent, right? So, I mean, obviously sin was still at play, right? I'm pretty righteous because Well, I'm going to be honest with you. Knowing my own heart, my own life, and the way, the attitudes, the inclinations of myself, I don't know if I'm any more righteous than anyone else, to be honest with you. 
you know, knowing my own heart, knowing my own life. So I would, I would hesitate to even say, oh, I'm better than Adolf Hitler. The only difference between me and Adolf Hitler is I met Christ and know him. And without Christ, I would be Adolf Hitler. Without Christ, I would be Saddam Hussein. Without Christ, can I get amen? amen yeah. I mean, this is the reality. If it wasn't for Christ, I would still be dead in my trespasses and sin. I would still be lost. I would not be a son and daughter of God, a son or daughter of God. Amen. I mean, we just wouldn't be without Christ. So we're going to start here, verse 16. I hope to make it uh, to the end, but I don't think that's going to happen, okay? Uh, so we're going to read from verse 16 to verse 22, and then we'll talk about it, and then we'll move on. Uh, Verse 16, and the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely come to be a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him. That he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. That the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. And because their sin is very grievous. I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Now, as we begin this, I want to reiterate here in verse 16, it says, the men rose up thence. Now, we, if we were just picking up here and we just started reading halfway through this, we wouldn't have the context of knowing that these three men are not just men. Amen? Obviously, one of these men isn't the Lord because Abraham addresses him as Yahweh over and over and over and over. Amen? And then two of them, when they leave, we see in verse 1 of chapter 19 that they're angels. Then came two angels to Sodom okay these two angels are the men that left where Abraham was speaking to the Lord amen so we understand the context when it says these men rose up thence and looked towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to bring them on their way now it's interesting that Abraham got up with them and started walking towards Sodom with them Abraham's intention here seems clear from the very beginning that he's going to see them off. And as he sees them off to where they're going, God reveals to Abraham what he's doing. And immediately, Abraham, in the, you know, verse 23, Abraham comes and starts interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah. Because of Lot, his nephew, obviously. But that whole narrative, what you see in it, is not just, oh, Abraham's bargaining with God. See, that's what people think is going on here. 
But that's not what's going on, okay? Abraham is, is, is trying his hardest to rationalize why it is God is destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? And he gets it down to what? Uh, ten men, right? Does he get it down to ten men? Uh, let's look. Pre-adventure, there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for the lack of five? And he said, if I find there forty and five, I will, destroy, I will not destroy it. And he spake again, forty. And then he gets down to uh, thirty. And he said, I will not do it for thirty. And behold, now take it upon me to speak to the Lord pre-adventure there's 20 found there and he said I will not destroy it no let the Lord not be angry I will yet speak but this once pre-adventure there be 10 found there and he said I will not destroy it for 10's sake so he gets all the way down to 10 10 righteous men the problem with this narrative is this there's not one righteous no not one Amen. The problem in this argumentation is that we think comparatively there's going to be some righteous people, right? But the, 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 the understanding in this narrative is that none is righteous. Amen. This is uh, spelled out in the New Testament so very clearly by the Apostle Paul in chapter 3 of Romans that there's not one that seeks after God. There's not one that does good. There's none. This would include Lot and his family. Amen? But as, as we're understanding this, Abraham is going with them, and he's being a good host. So he's wanting to walk them out. He's wanting to send them on their way. Probably gave them a little to-go basket or to-go towel or you know, a little Arab bedroll with some meat and stuff rolled up in it. I don't know how they travel. Throw it on their camel. I don't know. They might have had camels with them. It doesn't say. Just said there was three men coming. Didn't say if they was on foot. Didn't say if they was. Amen? It doesn't say that. Now, <clears throat> the fact that he's washing their feet probably meant they had dusty feet and were walking. But that's just an assumption. Verse 17, the Lord asks this question, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Now, here's an interesting thought for you guys, because God does not always tell everybody what he's doing. Amen? The reality is, God here is asking himself, am I going to tell Abraham? Should I tell him? Now, why does God decide to tell him? That's the question, okay? Because he asked the question, shall I hide the thing from Abraham, what, I'm what I am doing? Okay, look at how he words the question in the King James. Now, I know this isn't, you know, gospel or whatever. This isn't canon, you know. It's the King James isn't the, you know, standard by which we judge everything. But I think it gives you a good understanding of why the question is being asked. Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do. Notice he said the thing which I do. Not the thing that I'm planning on doing. 
Not the thing that I'm going to do if Abraham agrees. Why? Because God's sovereignty is not held up by human decision. God's going to do what he wants to do regardless of our decision. Okay? How many times do you, how many people do we know this year that died that were just like, Woo, I'm going to die. It's my turn. They didn't want to die. But God still worked out his will no matter what. Amen? The reality is that's how God normally operates. And the fact that he's even attempting to tell Abraham what he's going to do is grace. <laughs> Amen? To let Abraham in on it. Now it's also, I believe, a third reason so that he can see Abraham's response. And he had this dialogue with Abraham about whether there's 50 righteous or 45 or 30 or 20 or 10. Amen? God wants this dialogue with Abraham because he knows it's going to be beneficial to Abraham. Amen? Now watch this. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely be a great and mighty nation and that all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. God's reason for telling Abraham is twofold according to verse 18. God decides to reveal his plan to Abraham, number one, because seeing that he's already covenanted with Abraham and chosen Abraham and determined that Abraham will be a great and mighty nation, and, number two, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed by and through Abraham. Now, can I give, give you a little indication of why this matters? Because Sodom and Gomorrah are a nation. And Abraham is supposed to be a blessing to the nations. And the fact that Abraham is pleading for the case of godless people speaks very clearly to me looking forward to Christ who speaks on behalf of godless people of un, of the ungodly and the sinner who he died for who he pleads their case amen but this is clearly from a new testament perspective what god intended to be seen amen because Abraham is going to be, number one, a great and mighty nation. Number two, he will bless. All nations of the earth are going to be blessed through him. So God's decision to tell Abraham is based on those two criteria. Because God's predetermined plan that Abraham would be a great nation. Notice how he ends verse uh, 19, okay? It's interesting, verse 19, kind of, you get your two reasons in verse 18. But in verse 19, God then starts talking about his sovereign knowledge of who Abraham is. Now, how great is this? Now, we know God knows everybody, right? Is there anybody on this planet that God doesn't know their heart, doesn't know them, doesn't know, know them before they were ever formed in their mother's womb? No. God knows all things, right? 
But it's very interesting that God specifically says, I know him. This knowing him is not just like I know him. It's like I know him because Adam knew Eve. God has now made covenant with Abraham. He's intimate with Abraham. Are you seeing this? When you make covenant with your wife, you're now intimate with your wife. When Adam knew Eve, he was intimate with her. This knowing where God says, I know Abraham, he's saying, I have covenanted with Abraham. Me and Abraham are in covenant relationship. We know each other. I know him, right? I've chosen him. Now watch this. How I know it has something to do with God's covenant with Abraham. Watch how he, watch the wording. He says, for I know him. And I think this talks more about the knowledge God has of Abraham rather than just choosing Abraham, okay? Now I'm going to tell you why, because look at, look at what it says. That he will command his children and his household after him. And that they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. Notice that. He says, for I know him that he will command his children and his household and that they shall keep the way of the Lord. Notice he's speaking futuristic. He's telling you. God is showing you his sovereignty in that he knows Abraham intimately and he knows the outcome even of Abraham's children, of Abraham's household, that they will all keep the way of the Lord. Wow, isn't that something to strive for? That God would know me, that he would know me so intimately that he knew that Kevin O'Connor was going to keep uh, command his house and his and his household after his children his household after him that they would keep the way of the Lord. And God could say that in a future tense about your family. How awesome would that be? Amen. But this shows God's absolute knowledge of all things. Knows Abraham intimately, knows Abraham's children, knows that Abraham will command his children, command his household after him, and that they will all keep the way of the Lord. Amen? Now watch, watch how, it, how he ties it into the covenant. To do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. What had he spoken of him? That Abraham would be a great nation. That Abraham would bless all the nations of the earth. Would be blessed through Abraham. Amen. God absolutely had a plan. Was working that plan out. And that plan hinges on the fact that God knew Abraham. Knew Abraham's heart. Knew that Abraham would follow him. Would command his children, his household. And that they would all keep the way of the Lord. That's a pretty profound statement. Most of us are going, man, I hope I wake up tomorrow and do the right thing. Let alone going, man, I know my, I know his children, his children's children and their children. They'll keep the way of the Lord. 
Wow. I think this ultimate, ultimately speaks to Christ, who is the only one who really kept the way of the Lord. Amen. That God might know me. That's a pretty profound statement. I know him. Man, don't you want God to be able to say that about you? Like there's no hidden thing in you. Once you, once you come to the realization that there's no hidden thing in you, because here's the thing. Most of us go, well, I know God knows everything, but then we act like we can keep secrets from God. Like somehow when we sin, oh, God has blinders on that time. He didn't see me. He's playing peekaboo with me, right? But we do that. We're like, we're like, did you really see that? I don't know if he saw me. But we act like that, right? We do that when we make sin a less and less. We make sin to be nothing and like it doesn't offend God, like it doesn't, like it's not an affront to God, and we make excuse for our sin, right? We're pretending like God doesn't see it. Notice verse 20. Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. And because their sin is very grievous. What does verse 20 say in the ESV? Very grave. That gives the same indication, right? Gives the same indication. Their sin is very grievous, very grave. Okay? Now, a lot of people try to say, oh, Sodom and Gomorrah, that, that wasn't really about homosexuality. And they totally dismissed that all these men in chapter 19, verse what? Five through nine are wanting to rape these two angels that look like men. They want to rape them. And what's Lot's solution? First of all, this tells you that Lot is not a good guy. He's not a good guy in the story. He's not even a good guy among bad guys. He's a bad guy among bad guys because all of Sodom is wicked and Lot lives there. Okay? Lot was ready to give them his daughters who had never laid with anyone, but he was going to give them his daughters instead of raping those two men. Now, that's just trading one evil for another, okay? You can't gang rape these two men. I'll give you my daughters and you can gang rape them. Pretty perverse, right? Now, I know Lot probably felt like he was in a no-win situation, but I promise you, your wife is not looking at you like you're a hero when you come up with that plan, okay? She's like, what did he just say? <laughs> right? No, this is not the right plan at all. Amen? So if you want, we can look at uh, Genesis 13, 13. Okay, if you flip back to Genesis 13, 13, I want you to see what God says about Sodom and Gomorrah's sin. Okay, 
But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Amen. What's the ESV say right there? Verse 13 of chapter 13. Great sinners against the Lord. Exceedingly. Wow. And then you have, obviously, chapter 19, verse 5 through 9, where they're trying to rape these men. Okay? I'm betting his daughters weren't looking at him like, really, that's the plan you got? I'm, I'm, I'm betting them angels is like God is fixing to burn this place down. We got we to gotta get them out of here because we're fixing to tear it up. Right? And the very fact that we know Lot was not a good guy, yet God spares him anyway, is another sign of God's grace. Amen? That God gives grace to Lot, even though Lot does not deserve it. Amen? Uh, I had some verses written down here. Uh, Ezekiel 16. If you want to flip over to Ezekiel 16, we're going to see what Ezekiel says about Sodom and Gomorrah's sin, okay? Now i got to remember where Ezekiel is. You know, Ezekiel isn't quite one that you turn to all the time, okay? Ezekiel chapter 16 I think we're at verse 49, okay? Uh, let's do 48. As I live, says the Lord God, Sodom thy sister hath done, hath not done, nor her daughters as thou hast done, thou and thy daughters. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor or the needy and they were haughty and committed abomination before me therefore I took them away as I saw good now how does verse 50 end in the ESV So I removed them when I saw it. I like the King James Version right there just because he said, I saw good. I saw it was good to do it. It was righteous. It was right. Amen. And what you get out of uh, chapter uh, 18, when God begins to tell why he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, what you get out of that whole narrative where Abraham pleads with God about Sodom and Gomorrah is God's judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah is righteous because verse uh, was verse 20 of chapter 18 and the Lord said because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous okay all the sins that that Ezekiel said you know, plus the abomination, plus uh, chapter 13 of chapter, or verse 13 of chapter 13, this chapter, chapter 19, where they try to rape these men of Sodom, try to rape these two angels that look like men, shows you the great wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah's hearts. 
And God is righteous in bringing judgment on them. It's right. It's good that God is doing this. We don't always think of God's judgment as something good, but it is. The Lord, everything God does is good. Everything. There's not one thing that God does that's not good. All of His judgments are right. All of His judgments are good. Everything He does is done rightly and with good. And because God is good, it's done good. Even judgment. Even His wrath being poured out on His Son was good. Amen? Now watch this. I got a little note here because uh, it's important when we come to verses like this to kind of talk about it. Verse 21. He says, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is coming to me. And if not, I will know. Now, a lot of people go, well, does that mean God didn't know what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah? Absolutely not. I want to read you a little note out of the ESV study Bible, okay? And this note on verse 21 was very helpful for me, and I hope it's helpful for you. He says, I will go down to see. These words reveal that the decision to destroy the cities of the plain was undertaken with careful scrutiny of the evidence. This remark should not be interpreted as indicating limited knowledge on the part of God any more than do the similar and ironic words of chapter 11 verse 5 all that is implied is God's direct attention to the matter so I would if you are willing flip back to chapter 11 and we're going to read verse 5 because it made reference to it it's important for us to check those references right so this is the Tower of Babel. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. Now, remember when we talked about this, it wasn't as if God didn't know they were already building the tower. As if God didn't see the tower where he was at. Let's, let's talk about this in reality. Is God only in heaven? Why? Because God is omnipresent in all places at all times in all spaces <laughs> amen so this wording is to indicate God is giving specific attention to this thing just like it was at the Tower of Babel now it has a note here in the King James Study Bible on verse uh, 5 of chapter 11. It says, The Lord still had to come down to see the city and tower. Human attempts to achieve glory, which belongs to God alone, always fall painfully short. Now, I don't know that I would word it as if God had to come down and see it. I know that God did come down to see it. And I don't know that it means or implies that he had to. I don't know if I'd make that leap. You know what I mean? 
Uh, the ESV on verse uh, 5 of chapter 11 says, With irony, the narrator points out that it was necessary for the Lord to come down in order to see the city and the tower, acknowledging the potential danger of a unified, self-confident humanity. God intervenes by confusing their language so that they cannot understand one another. This has the desired effect of dispersing the people throughout the whole world. Now, I don't agree with that either. <laughs> I don't see anywhere in the language where it says God had to come down there and see it, okay? But that he did. Notice that none of them on verse 5, let's read verse 5 in the ESV and then we'll read it in the King James. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. Does any of that say he had to? Okay, verse 5 in the King James. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. Still does not give the indication that he had to. What I think is exactly what they're pointing out in the ESV study Bible about chapter 18, verse 21, that God is giving special attention to this event. Amen. That he's focusing his attention, coming down here to focus his attention on what he's about to do, about to bring judgment, which is what he does in chapter 11, verse 5, too. Okay? But he didn't. Special attention. Right. Right, right. I would agree with that assessment. Now, I do think that, that that note right there on verse 21 in chapter 18 is very helpful. These words reveal that the decision to destroy the city of the plain was undertaken with great scrutiny and on the evidence. The remark should not be interpreted as indicating limited knowledge on God's part any more then do the similar and ironic words of chapter 11, verse 5. All that is implied is God's direct attention to the matter. And I think that's the, what's happening in both these cases. Is that God is giving special attention to the wickedness that's going on right there. Amen? Now, verse 22 and the men turned from thence and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. So we know that three men came, right? We know that three men came to visit him. And we found out that one of these men is obviously the Lord because Abraham continues to address him as the Lord. We know that all three men got up to leave and Abraham went with them, right? So when it says, and the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord, we have to assume that two of the men left and one, that was the Lord, stood there talking with Abraham. Amen? That's implied in the text. It's implied in this narrative, right? So what I want you to understand completely is that these two men are the one that walk off and they're the two angels that show up, chapter 19, verse 1. Amen? 
So we have these two angels showing up there, and the Lord stays here with Abraham. Now, I think it's interesting that God stays here with Abraham, and he still has those angels go off to do what he's already told them to do. Okay? Now, if these were just men, think about this logically. If these were just men, how in the world would this man that's talking to Abraham get the message to them if Abraham is successful in bargaining with God? If he's successful and he says, hey God, don't destroy him, and then God goes, okay, I won't do it. If this is just a man, how is he going to get that information to those two men who are already gone? Abraham's in memory. Sodom and Gomorrah are on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Or not the Sea of Galilee, the, the Dead Sea, right? Those cities are on the other side of the Dead Sea, long ways away from each other. How is this man going to get information to those men quickly enough that they don't destroy the city? And how can two men destroy two whole cities or all the cities of the plains anyway, all by themselves. This is evidence that this is God talking and these are two angels that are going to do God's bidding. Amen? This is absolutely what's happening, okay? I'm just giving you a logical understanding that if even if Abraham would have succeeded and these are just men, there's no way that this man would have been able to get information to those men fast enough for them not to destroy the cities. Yeah, they didn't have cell phones. A smoke signal wouldn't have been able to be seen. It's too far away. I'm just saying, the reality is this is not ordinary men. This is a supernatural event with supernatural, angelic, and God theology. You know, a theophany is going on here, right? More than likely a Christophany. So we understand that this is the Lord and two angels, and that God has already sent those two angels to do what he's going to do before he ever gets in this discourse with Abraham. Amen? So it leads me to believe that God's sovereign plan was already going to work out however it was going to work out. Yet Abraham had to have this discourse with God because God saw that it was necessary for Abraham. That's the only thing that you can draw from this. Because it didn't benefit Sodom because they were still destroyed. It didn't benefit Gomorrah because they were still destroyed. Amen? The reality is they still got destroyed even though Abraham does this interceding. I think this interceding is beneficial for Abraham because it shows Abraham, in, in a nutshell, what true the true nature of human beings is. Is, is there 50 righteous? If there's 10 righteous, there's not. There's none righteous, Abraham. None. All of you need me. <laughs> Amen? And as a Christian perspective, we absolutely see Christ intercede on, on our behalf except Christ is victorious and his intercession actually bears fruit to everlasting life whereas Abraham's intercession though it was good and he had the right motive the right heart 
It did not change the outcome. Amen. But Christ's petition before God changed the outcome. Changed your outcome, your outcome, your outcome. And anybody's outcome who will see the Son and believe. Right. Because it's not dependent on other people's righteousness. It's dependent upon the righteousness of the one interceding. Right. Abraham couldn't say, I'm righteous, so spare them. He couldn't do it. But this gives us a, a clear indication of why Christ can. Amen? Now, I, I, do, I do think it's interesting that they already left, and then God stands there with Abraham. He sits there with him. And I think that's also important for us to understand that even in times of great difficulty, even when God's plan is going to work out however it's going to work out, God still wants to take time to spend time with you. Amen? God's plan is going to work out because he is God. Amen? But he still cares enough to stay there and possibly comfort Abraham in the process of this conversation. Amen? To give Abraham con uh, some counsel and console him over the plan that he has. Right? Next week, or I guess next week, uh, Wednesday, we'll talk about the rest of this chapter. And we'll notice how... <laughs> It says the Lord went his way as soon as he had left com uh, communing with Abraham. Notice how that text reads. Can you read verse 33 in the ESV for me? Right. Now Abraham goes home and the Lord leaves Abraham after their communing. Really like that word there. God was purposefully spending time with Abraham in this difficult moment where God was saying, hey, I'm going to pour my judgment out over here. And Abraham does everything humanly possible to plead the case for these people, yet God's judgment falls anyway. Lot is spared, and I'm sure Lot is spared because he's connected to Abraham, to that covenant. He's already been circumcised. Amen? He's already been brought into the covenant. It's all part of God's plan. Which also gives me hope that if we're in Christ, what can separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or persecution? Amen? That whole chapter where he's saying that? Nothing. I'm convinced nothing can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Amen? Why? Because you're now part of the covenant. Amen? Now that should give us all hope because all of us at one time or another have been locked <laughs> and went to places we shouldn't have and uh, wanted to dwell in places we shouldn't have. <laughs> and God still, 
He might have destroyed that whole way of life that we used to live. <laughs> but he still brought us out of it. Amen? Why? Because we're his kids. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you and praise you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy that you have shown us in Christ. Lord, I thank you that Abraham's story is not so very different than ours and that we can see retrospectively ourselves in Christ being part of that seed that will continue to walk in the way of the Lord. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to be your children. Help us to be commanded by your word and your son. Help us to execute justice and judgment in our life only by your word and your son who is at work in us. And that we are only part of this gene, of this genealogy, of this family tree by your grace, by your mercy. By the covenant that you had made with our father Abraham and you have consummated in your own son. That we might be part of an everlasting people who declare for all eternity the glory and the majesty of God and of his son Jesus Christ. Help us to live that way. Help us to love that way. Help us to spread your gospel that way with hope with understanding, God, that you are at work in all these things and that we are more than conquerors because of him who loved us and gave himself for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.